Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here, continuing our special entrepreneurial and leadership series brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Great conversation today. These conversations just keep getting better and better. John Rolfe is the guest today, and what can I say about him? Again, another great entrepreneur, great servant leader. We talk about service and sacrifice a lot in this conversation. We talk about agape love, which you've heard me talk about on the show if you're a regular listener of the show. Uh, I think it's at the core, it's at the essence of leadership. And we talk about curiosity, a lot about curiosity and how it's a prerequisite for this type of leadership that's so needed and is so effective. Uh, it's a really fun and deep conversation uh, on that front. John was born and raised here in Wichita, and after graduating from Baylor University, he worked for the National Student Leadership Forum in Washington, D.C. in 2002, and he moved back in Wichita then, in that year, and to work in the family business, Sasnek Management, and where he is now the president and Sasnak owns and operates over 60 Carlos O'Kelly's and Applebee's restaurants across 10 states, along with two breakfast concepts here in Wichita called the Good Egg and Homegrown. He currently serves as the co-chair of the Greater Wichita Partnership and on the board of Interest Bank and uh, the CEO Forum. John has served as the chairman of Visionary in Wichita, and he has sat on the boards of the Wichita Children, Children's Home, United Way of the Plains, the YMCA, and the Wichita Metro Chamber of Commerce. He's married 12 years, five children, which is just amazing. Um, looks like the three boys and two girls. So we talk about all of that, how leadership in every aspect of your life is so critical. You're really going to enjoy this conversation, particularly if you understand the concepts of agape love style of leadership where it's you sacrifice so others may prosper. Again, it's brought to you, this show is brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank a team that completely understands the mindset of what it takes to be a leader, an entrepreneur, particularly of a small business. It's been exciting to have Equity as part of this series. It's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. Equity Bank is listed on the NASDAQ exchange and has locations across Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And again, clearly this team understands you as a leader, understands what it means to lead, understand what it means to be uh, an entrepreneur, and what it means to grow. So if you feel like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, then I suggest you work with this bank, a bank that truly understands your needs. Go check them out at equitybank.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's join this exciting and engaging conversation with entrepreneur John Rolfe here on this special entrepreneurial and leadership series on Dose of Leadership. Well, John, I'm so excited to meet you. Thanks. Welcome to the show. Very glad to be here. I appreciate my first ever podcast. First ever? Yeah. Oh, wow. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be fun, right? Yeah. I guarantee it. And, you know, I, I'm always interested talking with uh, entrepreneurs, uh, particularly with, you know, man, you're running a lot of stores, a lot of restaurants. Uh, entrepreneurship, from what you're telling me, has been in your family from a long time, right? You're a second-generation entrepreneur. Yes, sir. 
How did it start for you? You know, where did it start? How did you're surrounded by it? When did you get the entrepreneurship bug or has it always been with you or what? Well, it's funny in our family, uh, my dad and uncle actually always resisted the idea of being considered entrepreneurs. They were farm kids right? and saw opportunity and felt like they worked hard. And, and then people called it entrepreneurship later, uh, even though they were right in the formation of Pizza Hut, uh, right. Applegate's Landing. They created their own concept, Carlos O'Kelly's along the way. Right. And um, I think I'd, I'd probably say similar to me uh, in the sense that entrepreneurship generally when it was talked about as I was growing up was you got to be out of a garage for a while and then you grow something out of nothing. Um, you know, f- what I've found is that entrepreneurial thought is useful in many situations. It can be applied whether you're trying to solve issues in a community, issues in your business. Um, issues in your home. Um, but uh, also the thing I've noticed is that a lot of entrepreneurs have uh, seek opportunism. Uh, they see it everywhere they look and they have a risk tolerance that they're willing to try things to, to learn. You know, it's, I love that you brought that up because it's been one of my big pet peeves because I, it almost drives me crazy when in, in, in this town we're notorious for it. There's like a separateness, right? And it's like, oh, well, you're born an entrepreneur. You either have it or you don't. It's that, you know, when you, and you look back, it's almost like we've been deconditioned to be, and I wouldn't even say entrepreneurial, to be innovative. Right? Yes. It's like this Frederick Wenzel Taylor scientific management theory that's been permeating since the Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. to now has kind of deprogrammed people what is the natural state. Yep. And the reason why I say it's a natural state is because as, as cavemen, we had to be entrepreneurial to survive, right? And so I don't like this. And what you said just res- that resonated with me because you know, it's almost like we all have it at some ability, some are more natural mm-hmm. than others. But to me, as I've gotten older, as I've become more entrepreneurial, I realize I've always had it. It was just re- getting somebody to help me reveal what was already there. What yeah. are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I totally agree. I, I tend to think of it in terms of curiosity yeah. oftentimes. Yeah. A lot of your entrepreneurs and where entrepreneurial thought begins is when you start asking questions about, well, why is this way? Or whoever wrote the rule that things should be this way? Or what if we tried this? Would that be different? And what happens, I think, in education and just in Western culture in general is it becomes about performance. Um, and so you get in a system where you know how to perform. And so you chase the performance versus trying to think about, well, how could things be better or what's a new way to try things? And so when you can have outlets for creativity that um, start to whet your appetite for curiosity, um, it can follow you through your whole life. And it can be awakened, I think, like you're saying, at any point in your life as well. I agree with you. And, and I struggle with this because that curiosity piece is tantamount to – um, and changing the game in almost everything. You personally, as uh, a leader of your life, um, running an organization, running your family, anything, right? It's that curiosity piece. And and I think, how do you teach somebody to be curious? And I've had that debate too. People are like, well, you're just either you are or you aren't. Mm. I don't know, right? What are your thoughts on that? Is that something you're – I mean, obviously the successful leaders, entrepreneurs, the circles that you've run in, mm-hmm. that curiosity is like – a requirement. Yeah. Right? Well, and I think some people just in the home they're raised in are naturally encouraged to be more curious than others. The The way that their family engages them in the world mm-hmm. sparks questions and desires to, to learn more and understand more. Um, and then there's homes where that's 
frowned upon more. Mm-hmm. You know, get in line, perform, get things done, uh, don't stray, and uh, or just ignored and not that stands not, not flamed, yeah, yeah, and nurtured. Um, but as we look at leaders, it's something we look for, and it, it displays in all those ways that you're talking about, particularly when you're meeting someone. How good are they at asking questions? Yeah. And for instance, that's a skill I felt like was taught to me. It was modeled for me uh, just as I was getting out of college. And the idea of, you know, how do you really be curious about someone, listen to their answers and use that to propel. And then you're walking away with a great sense of who they are. Um, And... uh, that was life changing for me. So I watch a lot of how people interact with other humans and how curious they are, how much they see another human as uh, a tool to get them towards whatever goal or performance. And that tells me a lot about what their leadership style is going to be. Yeah, I love that. I love, love, love that. I can't tell you how much it resonates with me because so much of, of studying, you know, the umbrella of leadership for me has been this exercising of that emotional quotient part of your mm-hmm. personality and your brain, right? And it is, I think, if there's a secret sauce to success, to significance, I think it is in that uh, realm of of constantly exercising that emotional quotient side of you, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, you know, the way someone taught it to me was uh, there's treasure all around you. Mm-hmm. And when you meet someone, go on a treasure hunt. Uh, dive into their life and and find out the treasure that's in there from their experiences, uh, uh, from the, the wisdom that they have. If you ask enough questions, you're going to find the treasure that's out there. And so that made it exciting to pursue it. Um, it's also been taught to me uh, as a best practice in parenting. So yeah. rather than saying this is the way I want my kid to be or what I expect them, they're going to be a soccer player, they're going to mm-hmm. do this, to, but to approach them with curiosity – almost from birth, what's your personality? What's it going to be like? What are you going to be good at? Has changed the way I relate to my children as That's well. That's so true. And I think back when I got four kids and you have five, right? Five under 10 is what you told five me? Five under 10. <laughs> I married a saint. <laughs> yeah, right. But you're right. And I think about the first two. And I had like the first two, real same age part, and there was a little bit of gap, and then the second two. And if I, and they're, all four of them are great. But you're right. I think even on the first one, I would think even though I would said I wasn't that way, I was probably more of, you know, you do this, you do X, and Y will happen, right? Mm-hmm. You do Y, and then Z will happen. But the other two, it's it's I'm not that way. And I'm not that way with any of them now, yeah. but you're right. It's like, poke, I'm curious. What do you want to be? Who do you see? You know? Yeah, and, and it's really what's interesting about the human experience because you think about – when was the last time you're curious about your spouse or a friend or someone you've worked wow. with for a long yeah. time? And you know, people are dynamic. They're always changing. They're always learning. They're having their own experiences. They can see the same thing happen that you see and interpret in a different way. And it's been important for me to learn to stay curious. Yeah. Right. We never figure each other out. I, never. I, I've been married 12 years and I've not figured out my wife totally and she's not figured me out. And that's we don't get bored with each other yeah. that way if we can remain curious. Well, I've been married 26 coming up here in a couple of weeks and it's the same thing. You're right. And I think in even in, and I've talked about this on my show before about the rocky patch that we had. We almost got divorced um, 10 years ago. And I can tell you, we're still together. And I think, and it's and it's because um, you're right. That curiosity factor 
has gone into overdrive. My career, everything, leadership, it is. It's it's when I started becoming more curious it, about, it, it, where things started to open up, yeah, right? It breeds intimacy. It shows you how you can Absolutely. care for someone. It helps you understand right? their, yeah, your yep. own vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Man, I love that. And it is the key, I think, and uh, when we talk about leadership on the show, I really do think that that is, uh, I think there are three currencies that we're not so good at. Authenticity, vulnerability slash transparency, and courage, right? And the key to kind of unlock those currencies, I think, really is curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and a little curiosity about yourself and what are your real convictions. Right. I think we miss that in leaders and in brands. We expect that people are their conviction is whatever's in their own self interest, and it's always interesting to us when someone's willing to uh, sacrifice some upside for themselves because it contradicts a conviction, a core conviction they have as a leader. Right. And that's what, and I, when we talk about on this show that, and I've talked about leadership is love. Leadership is influence. To become influence, it's about adding value. To add value, it's you got to come from a loving place. Mm-hmm. And people are like, what do you mean love? Not the squishy type of love. That you know, if I told you I loved you and didn't make you uncomfortable, but I love you in the agape sense of uh-huh. where I'm sacrificing so that you may prosper. Yep. Easy to understand with your kids. You naturally kind of do that, I think, from natural. But for me to do that to you, and we're peers even, yeah. and we're competing for the same scratching and clawing to get to the top. If I sacrifice so that you may prosper, it may seem like I'm not going to get my needs filled, but the reality is may not be in the time frame that I want, but my needs will be overflowing. All those things I'm chasing will be overflowing with abundance, right? Yep. If you do it that way. That's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I totally, you know, love is a central part of, of our leadership structure at our office and, and mine in my own life. And not only do I think it provides better results, I don't. I think your team, as they know that you care for them, as they care for each other, as they feel the safety in that, they perform higher. They enjoy their work more, but uh, the thing that I've seen through many career arcs now, having been around this business since I was born, is the thing that matters at every retirement party is the lives that people touch, the opportunities that they uh, took to show love and care yeah. for the people around, whether they were peers, their boss, people that worked for them, to create opportunity to uh, go the extra mile to teach them something. Those where the tears are at those. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking about the growth during second quarter of 2009, <laughs> right, right. you know, whatever it is. Yeah. It's, and so we talk about that as people are a legacy in our company that mm-hmm. really in the end, that's what's going to matter. And so let's not forget that what we're trying to do is important, but how we do it is going to be even more important in the end. Right. Because lives are at stake. And that's, I love that you're saying that that resonates with me. I, I, I want to work at a place like that where you value me as an employee. Um, well, value you as a human. A human. A, yeah. Yeah, even better, right? Um, value me as a human um, because it is an opportunity. Every opportunity for interaction, even the smallest one, is an opportunity for development and growth, right? Yep. Yeah. And it's just like you said with curiosity and some of the other things we talked about earlier, that when you master that and and or start to even – take a voyage into uh, practicing some of these things, love and curiosity and conviction, 
it bleeds into every part of your life, mm-hmm. right? So if you're a caring person at work, you're going to be a caring person at home. You're going to be a more caring friend. Every aspect of your life. Yeah, right? it becomes a, when I speak about servant leadership to groups, I talk a lot about how everybody asks what you want to, what do you want to do with your life? What are you doing with your life? Uh, when one of the more important questions we should be asking ourselves is who are we becoming? Yeah. And um, I'm a person I want to become more loving, more caring. Um, and so you can ask the people around you, am I, am I more loving? Am I more caring? When I walk into a room, does the amount of grace go up or does it go down? <laughs> right. Um, and uh, those sort of aspirations, the opportunity is for them to bleed out in every area of your life because you're thinking about your core and who you are and who you who you want to become. It's a great question to ask. I, I it's a I love that. Um, even my own personal journey and people I've been with, the moment that I said I was so focused on the leader that I wasn't and the leader that I failed to be, but then that subtle shift of going, well, who is it that I'm becoming? And asking that every day, it's just it's a subtle but very powerful shift. It right? is. One of the first places it was taught to me was as I was uh, single and looking for a wife. And I had a mentor say to me, focus on being the right person, not finding the right person. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really switched things around for me mm-hmm. rather than being outward focused. Like, well, if I want, I know the kind of wife I want to have. If I want to attract that kind of woman, I probably need to be this kind of, and I need to get better at it and work on it. And I started meeting with a, a 80-year-old mentor. And as I listen to him and uh, talk about his life and uh, just watch and was more curious, I realized the thing, again, that matters in the end is not only the lives you touched, but who did you become and do you like who you became? And I Mm -hmm. think we see it at midlife crisis or different points. We look in the mirror and go, how did I become this person? Mm -hmm. I used to smile or I used to have friends or I used to uh, be more adventurous um, and you say, well, what happened? Well, we spend all this time focused on what we're doing, which we have to do, but we spend almost no time thinking about who are we becoming, who do we want to become. Well, even when, yeah, you're a great point. And even when you're sitting there going through, okay, yeah, because you got to do, you have things to do, things that you don't necessarily want to do, but have to do at times because you're doing, you're doing, you're doing. But if you know, and you're talking about self-awareness, which is critical, and we talk about that a lot on the show, and it's a critical step towards, I think, getting to to, to leading a, what I call a significant life, not a successful life, but a significant mm-hmm. life, um, you, you got to go back and say, well, who am I becoming? And that becomes the litmus test so that when you are in the middle of doing every now and then, you can at least throw it up against that litmus yeah. test and say, well, this ain't tracking. Right? And you can leverage your doing into your becoming, exactly. I found too. So if you say, okay, I'm doing this at work, I want to become this kind of person. Right. Uh, for instance, like I want to become someone who's reconciled. Like when I get to the end, I don't want to have a bitter heart. I want to have a free yeah. heart. And so I need to be reconciled along the way. Well, that's something you can practice at home, mm-hmm. but also at work. All right. So am I becoming that kind of, do I see when I'm unreconciled? Do I have the courage to go uh, reconcile the relationship when that happens? Um, and all those things plant seeds now that allow you to enjoy the harvest later. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, I know it's such common sense, but I think the problem is, and I know I'm guilty of this, and this is why my marriage almost dissolved. And I see it, and I think that most, particularly men, and I think that this is for everybody, though. And I think it's that we're bought into the lie that our self worth is based upon 
what we accomplish and what other people think of us. Yep. And ev- everything around us reinforces that thought. Everything reinforces. The culture reinforces it, the side, the school, everything. We think we accomplish this. That is the basis of my worth. You giving me the feedback that, yes, you're on the right track, that becomes my self-worth. And that's the dangerous lie. Because yep. what happens when we do that? We get on this hamster wheel. And so it becomes, you almost become an approval addict almost. Like, and I need to achieve this position, title, income level, something, whatever, so I can feel good about myself. I need to come off the stage and people tell me how great my speech was. If I don't, then I'm not worthy. That's the lie. And so you got to find a way to find that you're worth, you're already worth. Mm-hmm. And that's personal to every individual. But you got to find a way <laughs> to realize that your accomplishments and what do people think has nothing to do with your self-worth. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I completely agree. And I think a lot of it comes back to how you define success. Yep. And there has to be multiple levels to that. There's the obvious definitions of success that we see, how much money someone makes, uh, um, how far they ascend mm-hmm. in an organization, uh, on an organizational chart and leadership. But we've seen a lot of people, I'm sure you know some people, that have had success in both of those accounts, but all the rest of their life is a mess. And I would not consider that person a success to have been able to accomplish that, but not to lose everything else. And I've known people that have failed over and over again in business or never ascended to anything that is noteworthy, whose lives have been an incredible success. And again, how do you define success and how do you define it for yourself? And uh, how much do you understand that life moves in seasons? You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, a good friend of mine, Paul Young, who wrote a book called The Shack. Yeah. He Is was a friend of yours? Yeah. yeah. I love so, that book. That's yeah, great. Instrumental, book. by the way, don't mean to interrupt, but instrumental when my marriage okay. almost fell apart. That book was instrumental. He'd be very touched by that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, his story, he wrote that story for his kids to explain his faith, never expecting it to be published. And he was working three jobs at that time, and he had been a, uh, had a, uh, some personal failings that had put his marriage on the rocks, um, had bumped him out of full-time ministry. He was working three jobs to scratch by. They lost their house that they'd loved. A failure on many fronts mm-hmm. in that way, uh, uh, yet fighting for his family, fighting for his marriage throwing himself out there as success in many ways. And then he gets this worldly success where he has one of the best-selling books of all time all around the world. It's been turned into a movie. And uh, the way he framed it up is he goes, uh, success and failure test the same person in different ways. He goes, I like to think of it like a two-liter bottle. You you can crush that two-liter bottle and then pull it back out and see where the deficiencies are, or you can blow it full of air and see, you know, where it's weak and where it's, and he goes, you just get tested in different ways, but you're still the same person. And so you, mm-hmm. you can't let, as the seasons come, where some things you're going to try to do uh, that you'll be successful at, some things you're going to try and do there, that that can't tell the story about who you are and what your worth is. And if you, if you haven't gotten back, well, if someone said, you know, who are you? And your only answer is, well, I'm a restaurateur or I'm I'm the vice president at this or I'm a pilot, whatever it is. Well, that's what you do. That's right. not who you are. Exactly. And so I think when you can have a better definition of who you are, we walked through a really hard time in our business where I had to restructure the, our Mexican brand, Carlos Akeli's, and close 17 restaurants in one day. Wow. And we were um, teetering towards whether having to bankrupt the concept during that time. And... I was like, man, I'm going to be the kid who took over the family business and bankrupted it. And that's, I'm going to wear that B around my neck and people are going to think that. And and 
I had to get to this place where it's like, well, that if I do that, if I walk through this, that doesn't mean I am a failure. Right. I may have failed at this, but that doesn't mean that I am a failure. I know who I am. I know who I'm trying to become. And whether it's failure or now success, where we've bought 16 Applebee's this year, we've just signed two uh, new contracts to build new homegrowns, um, where it looks everything looks great. That does not mean who I am. Right. Right. I'm not the cat's pajamas. Yeah. Uh, I'm the same guy that was going through this stuff four or five years ago, and I need to allow failure to be my teacher, and I need to allow success to be my teacher. Uh, but I still need to be who I am and have an idea of that. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Again, going it's going back to self-awareness and understanding that all of us have a tremendous amount of limiting beliefs. I call them the dragons that, that always rear their head, right? And the moment I stopped worrying about, or at least for me, when I stopped when I realized that there's always going to be a dragon, right, it was almost um, a relief. Uh-huh. And to me, it's the difference between a professional and an amateur. The amateur celebrates the fact that we cut the dragon's head off today and then panics when the next one shows up tomorrow. Yep. The professional understands. We'll celebrate and we'll accept the fact and we'll, and we'll release and let it go and we'll, we'll – crack open a beer or wine and celebrate and say, we did good today, John. Yep. But tomorrow. And if the dragon wins life. today, there is still tomorrow too, right? That's and right. I think the professional gets that. Yeah. And the professional is okay with that. And so how, it, to me, it's been um, a mindset of getting disciplined enough that that's okay. That's just how it is. So I'm going to enjoy the process of becoming the best dragon slayer that I can. And becoming a dragon slayer means you really dive into the self-awareness of who you really are. And not beating yourself up and not mm-hmm. focusing so, and and figure out where your strength is, where your lane is, and put 80% of your love and attention and energy into that, that yep. lane. Whereas in the past, I'd put 80% of my time energy into where I sucked. Right? <laughs> and it's the same with, I think, people in organizations. I've made that mistake too as a leader where I would I was spending 80% of my time with my C and Ds mm-hmm. trying to get them to Bs and As, therefore and ignoring my As yep. when I should have been putting – my love and attention into the A's and the B's, emulating 
showing everybody the example of what I want emulated. What are your thoughts on that? Um, totally agree with that. The research is very conclusive also that if you can catch people doing things right, that it changes behavior way more than catching yep. them doing it for wrong. Sure, and sure. it's the same the same concept, right? I mean, are you looking for the deficiencies and people doing it wrong? Or are you looking for the opportunities to encourage and highlight as people are doing things right, which a lot of times is a reflection of how well you've communicated mm-hmm. a, either the vision or two, the how to get it done. And then you're looking for that and you can change behavior. And again, then it's a more nurturing, caring environment mm-hmm. and people have an idea of what they need to go for, not knowing that you're walking around trying to, to slap the wrist. Yeah. What, how do you, how do we get there though? That seems to be the big question myself when I've coached people discipline, habits, those words come in, they scare you, right? Because we've all said, yeah, this is who I'm going to be. Yay. I'm going to, and even if it's losing weight, changing the habit, it's so stinking hard to change personal habits, you know, but it is about embracing the good, doing the habits. For me, it's, it's thinking big, but starting small. What, what about you? How do you, how, what is your discipline, the habits to get, to get to this mindset, to nurture this mindset? Well, there's, there's two parts to it. Um, and the first part, and I'd say probably the most important part is I've tried to incorporate this into my own life is to not do it alone. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times when we make a decision, I've been guilty of this many times, I'm going to change or I'm going to aspire to this. Um, we go after it and we either get distracted or worn out. Mm. Um, but when we can share our aspirations or who we're trying to be with a small group of people that care about us, they can help. You know, I used to think it was more about accountability where it was like, catch me when I'm doing it wrong. What I found is what I need is just continued encouragement and to keep me out of the gutters on the side. And another uh, harvest that you to reap later is if you make that choice to be vulnerable, as -hmm. we discussed earlier in that way, to say, this is who I'm trying to become. I want to become this kind of person and check back and ask, am I becoming this kind of person? Do you see it at work? Do you see it at home? Um, I'm wanting to be a, a good father. Well, you haven't been home like you're traveling, you know, 80% of the time. How's that working for you? Um, being willing to ask those kind of questions, but then to also say, hey, I saw you with your son the other day and you did this and I thought that was great. Uh, that is what helps you carry on to mm-hmm. me in those processes, which what we're talking about generally are processes and disciplines, like you said, that you you build and then you carry on. Yeah, not doing it alone. I love that. You can't do it by yourself, so get over it. But then have the, the courage to be vulnerable to somebody, whoever it is. Hey, I need your help. This is the type of person I'm wanting to become. And you're right. I used to look at it that way, and I think I even still did. That was kind of eye-opening that you said it that way because I was like, hey, I need an accountability partner. I need someone to hold me to the task or hold my feet to the fire. But you're right. When I, when I've had that support in the past by mentors or a spouse or whatever, it wasn't so much of the accountability. Why it was the support. It was mm-hmm. like, and then the reinsurance that hey, you did this great, reinforcing the behaviors. And that is a lesson learned when you're trying to get your folks at work celebrating the behaviors that you wanted emulated. Right. Yep. And that needs to be again the vulnerability even as a leader to communicate, hey, this is where we want to go. This is what we want to try and do. And by the way, this is who I'm trying to be as a leader. And I invite you to tell me, you know, when you see it and when you don't see it. Um, but I'm willing to put myself out there and say that these are my convictions and these are these are the things that are going to be important to me. Um, and this is what I think we can do together 
if we share some of these values, uh, what we can accomplish together and that we'll all be proud of. You know, I just thought about something in the past when I've, when I've asked the question, a lot of times when you do consulting and, and people want to know what's going on, what's, you know, the real you know, senior leaders are always trying to find out what's going on in their organization and get the feedback, right? And we do these anonymous surveys, which I'm not a fan of because um, I don't, I don't, still don't think you get the true aspect of what <laughs> what's really going on. And I found that the question that you asked, um, it's a two-step process. If you've already set up, you've done the work as a leader saying, this is, this is who I want to become. This is the type of organization I want to be. Then you can ask that question, how am I doing as a leader, how can I become a better leader? Mm-hmm. As opposed to me asking you, "Hey, what am I good at and what am I not good? At? What don't yep. you like about me?" Because if I ask so you, so then I you, can throw it back at you, <laughs> right? But if I ask you, "Hey, this is what I'm trying to become, John. Tell me, how am I doing? What can I do? What am I not seeing to get there?" Then people are more apt to be a little more open because it's not as threatening. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's an a, invitation. It's an invitation, right? And we we use that word a lot in our businesses. You know, when someone comes to work for you, there's mission statements and purpose statements, and we've used those things. What we're using now is when we invite you to be a part of this company, what are we inviting you into? And I think you can think about that as a human as well. You know, what am I inviting other people into? As they attach themselves to me, whether it's a spouse or a kid or a friend or a coworker, you know, what what will I be able to add to their lives? What am I hoping that they'll add to mine? Um, all those sorts of interpersonal Type things. Did you walk into this mindset? Has it always been with you, or did you have kind of a splat moment, epiphany moment where you shifted? Is this new for the organization? Is this new for you? I mean, what happened in your life that you have such a healthy uh, perspective on it, where most people your age don't have it? I would I, let's be honest. Well, I I was fortunate to to grow up in a household where. Um, curiosity and um, treating people with respect and decency, hard work, all those things were promoted. And I left my house after high school knowing that I was loved, right? Right. Um, Really important. And having a curiosity to learn and to grow. Um, And then I had just just a great wealth of mentors along the way where I would just meet with someone and ask them to coach me. And then I had a lot of opportunities for leadership experiences and opportunities to test that. Then I started mentoring some younger people, which helped uh, shape some of that. So I could know of the things I'm being told, what's true and not Mm -hmm. true. And I'd test things. And I was fortunate enough to find friends that were also curious around the same things. And so as we moved into that, um, my dad and uncle started the business together. My uncle passed away in 2011. It was really my dad and I. Um, you know, he was very much on board. Uh, a lot of the way that we're articulating things now in our company are uh, uh, built on the foundation of how they chose to run things. Mm. And they treated people with respect, and they had integrity, and they uh, generated results which cared for people. And so as we now articulate our values as uh, respect results in relationships, well, all that was present, and now it's voiced, and um, there's more a little more power and energy to it because you know where you're headed. Yeah. But it was embedded. It was embedded in my DNA just because the home I grew up in. And then through mentors, I felt like I was able to accelerate my learning around this. Like I said, I was mentored by an 80-year-old person, and I'm 30 at that time. Right. And you can imagine uh, – there's times I'd ask him a question because I just can't take an 80 year old head and put it on a 30 year old body, you know, <laughs> but there's a lot that right. I was able to learn from him. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so, uh, you know, we're just rolling out a new articulation of all this into our company, um, which I think brings a finer point to it. But the essence of it was was being practiced and practiced and alive and inside. Yeah, love love that. Love what a blessing for you to have that be brought up in that and to be aware of it. You know, I mean, it's it's tantamount. I, I I'm excited. I would be excited to see you know that in play because I think it's so lacking in so many cultures and organizations that this these ideas that we're talking about here, yep. nobody talks about it. Or at least I'm, I'm always running up against it. And well, I think we have this belief that business is about uh, making money yeah. or creating value, however you want to. And so that, that's what it's about. Um, and that's just such a one-dimensional yeah. approach, in my opinion, that misses. There's just this, this thing that happens in our lives uh, we're early on and as we go, it's about what we do. And in the end, it's about who we became. And we spend all the time up front talking about what are we doing. And, and, uh, I think we've been afraid at different points or didn't see it as the place of business to have those types of conversations, yeah. but it's getting more and more open to that. But you don't also, again, the idea of an invitation, I don't think you want to browbeat, um, Thoughts or or no, no, or no, these no. things and in, into your organization, which when you have a command and control structure, that's what it feels like. Well, you need to be this way, or you need. But if you know our invitation that we're articulating now is to come in and be a difference maker, make a difference. Uh, when you're on a shift, uh, leave the people you work with better than you found them. Leave the customers mm-hmm. better than you found them. Leave the restaurant. Leave you know when we're in a community, hopefully it's left better because we came in and made a difference for the better. That's well, a great invitation. And we talk about human flourishing and thriving. And as we try and achieve that, when people spend so much of their life at work, can it be a place that enhances their right. life, right? Can they flourish there? Can they find the best parts of who they are and they feel like it's being expressed? Absolutely. And then it feeds into their <laughs> their other parts of life that they really want to be at and it feeds into it. And that's, you're right. It sounds, it, it surprises me that we don't see that connection, and I guess I didn't either. I say that, and I didn't back then because it was all about hard charging, 50, 60, you know, the next level, the next income level. And I wasn't – and at home, my wife said, you're not here. You're not even mm-hmm. present. Yep. I'm like, I'm doing this for the family. No, I wasn't. I was yeah. doing it for my own ego and self-worth, right? And until you can finally get honest and authentic about who you are, what you're trying to do. And to your point, I love that you said, I, I think a lot of it, if there's an, any obligation about why we do any of this, and it doesn't matter what the product is, it really doesn't. If you can get people to understand that the, the only obligation that we really have, I think, and why we're here, and it gets to the purpose, and, and that can get complicated for people. But sometimes I make it simple by saying we're obligated just to make the campsite better than we found it Mm -hmm. in every situation. And I love that how you said that. That resonated with me. It's like, look, be a difference maker. No matter how small the task may seem, what can you do to add value to make this place better than you found it when you came in? This yeah, morning? sometimes that's just something as simple as a smile. So, yeah, exactly. Or uh, <laughs> a, you know, inquiring about how someone's doing and listening to the answer. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that's about you know doing something just a little extra. And sometimes you get to do something extraordinary. You see an opportunity, yeah. but when your eyes are set on that, you see the opportunities. When it's about getting through a shift. Or getting through it so you can get to the the next thing, you miss those opportunities. Yeah. And what I've experienced for myself, when I get so hard charging towards a goal, uh, I can sometimes get blinded to the opportunity to enhance the relationships as well, yeah. um, and miss miss 
the for the long term for for the short term? Well, it's because we, you know, as leaders and entrepreneurs, we, will, we always want to we're always chasing the big idea. We want to be responsible for the big idea or whatever because we think that's where everything's going to change, and it and it can dramatically change our lives for the better. But we miss those opportunities, right? The glance, the the nod, the the five minutes of how you doing, you know, and those yeah. are leadership opportunities that transform the culture of the organization that leads directly. That's an in, it's the intangibles that I think drive the bottom line more than anything else. When people start talking about bottom lines, like oh, we don't got time to talk about leadership and all this other yeah. fuzzy you know, touchy-feely stuff is like the, the intangibles drive the bottom line more than anything else. Well, and, and the performance of the team just gets better. Absolutely. If they feel safe, they feel engaged, they feel like they're flourishing, if they feel cared for, the mm-hmm. dynamics of the team uh, is when you start to see the return that is greater than the sum of the parts. Absolutely. And it's, that's the magic, and that's what makes it so fun. Yeah. And, and you see people coming alive. It's, uh, it's what you want to see. It's what right? it's about. And right? uh, it, it feels so good and uh, in the short term and in the long term. Yeah. So what's next for you? What are, what are you excited about? What are you guys – what's what's part of the journey? Um, you know, so I've spent the last year and a half uh, reorganizing the company and, and rebuilding the executive team and our approach. And so it just feels like we're uh, a loaded spring right now. We have – 61 restaurants, 4,000 employees um, across 10 states. That's all really exciting. But I think what drives us right now, we're getting ready to announce next week that we're changing our name from Sasnac, which is Kansas spelled backwards. We've been since the early 70s to Thrive Restaurant Group. Mm. And as I mentioned earlier, we're, t- we're focused, hyper-focused on this idea of, of thriving and flourishing people. And what's that look like? And so we're inviting them to make a difference because we feel like people, when they're making a difference, are flourishing. And then respect and results and relationships all um, push towards human thriving and flourishing and autonomy and mastery. Um, all those sorts of things, and we're exploring those of how to how do you how do you bring them into a system, systematize them? How do you have them across that span of geography? How do you invite your leaders to be leaders instead of just managers to bring their best and to be growing and flourishing and thriving? So, going back to kind of where we started with this idea of curiosity, I'm just so curious to see what happens. Is yeah. we have all our managers together here in about ten days, and we're rolling this out. Um, the idea of Thrive Restaurant Group and uh, uh, how we want to invite them into making a difference and with their lives and with with their strengths and all those sorts of things. I'm just so excited to see where that goes. And we, we're also trying to express these values into the brands and we're articulating that more clearly than we ever have with our Applebee's mm-hmm. restaurants. Uh, that brand's all about neighborhood, um, but we're talking about how do you be a good neighbor? What's that look like? How's that mm-hmm. actionable? With Carlos O'Kelly's, it's about generosity. Right now, we're uh, teachers are able to eat free um, mm-hmm. these two weeks as a, just a show of our gratitude mm-hmm. um, and to be bring generosity in the world. With Homegrown, it's about cultivating kindness. Our whole brand's about bringing kindness into the world. And our belief is that um, there is plenty of sadness and death and, and, and darkness and pain in the world that if we can be the exception to that, and with our day and making a difference, we can bring a little more light, a little more love, a little more kindness. We've made a difference for the better. And how does that express itself um, across the spans of restaurants, these different brands, uh, as being the soul of our company and who we are and who we're aspiring to be? That, that's, what, that's what we're pumped about right now. That's what I'm pumped about. 
Um, it's just, it feels like we're right at the beginning of a really exciting journey. I love it. And I'm excited for you. Again, it's making the campsite better than you found it. You're well on your way. I'm curious too, to see how it goes out. I look forward to staying in touch with you and seeing how it goes. Cause this is exciting times and, and it's refreshing to talk with uh, a leader, uh, like yourself who truly gets it. In, in in my understanding, I've had, you know, approaching 400 conversations on this show and it, it always gets me excited to hear somebody who lives it and breathes it and is incorporating it into your organization. So, well, so I appreciate that. To Important to know, just always trying to figure it out. Yeah, that's never, right. Never going to do it perfect every day. Well, so and I think new that, opportunity. Right. If, if I ever catch you planting a flag saying you've arrived, I'm going to pull you aside and <laughs> say, you're about to head for a fall. So. I invite you to do that, please. <laughs> right. So, oh man, thanks for coming on the show. It's been so much fun. To yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so yeah. much. My first pro- podcast. It was, well. it was a lot of fun. It Thank you. You did well. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series of Dose of Leadership brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day.